with it. I'm not doing the intro. Dang it. Dang it. <laughs> You're doing the intro. <laughs> All right. So welcome to uh, the cutting room floor. Dave, welcome to the cutting room floor. Um, this is a, a, a time, a conversation about the human experience and where it connects with scripture. Uh, we go for it. And where it doesn't, we just go in whatever direction we go for. Uh, for those of you who are coming in, um, I want to introduce you to Dave Smith. Dave Smith is a, uh, a Bible professor at Indiana Wesleyan University. He is also mm -hmm. the founder and leader of True North Ministry. Is that what you call it? True North Ministry? True North. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's how I met him. Uh, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, I was at a conference in Georgia where he was teaching and he was giving a Bible study uh, over a few days time. And his approach to it just, man, I just fell in love. And his, his emphasis on the work of Bible study being the work that the people do, not that the pastor does on behalf of the people. Like that, I think, is the general idea. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it just, you know, you hear that maybe in seminary once or twice in a class and you think, oh, that's a good idea. But that weekend, it really hit me hard. And so hmm. Dave came to our church in our little kind of small town of Coryville, spent a weekend teaching our leaders, teaching uh, people on a Saturday all day, and then coming in and, and giving a message. And ever since then, he has been a periodic encouragement to me. I've gotten random texts um, on just encouragement of what he's seen and what the church is doing, uh, letting me know what he's been doing. Um, I, I got, oh, I didn't bring it down with me. I got a copy, an advanced copy of a book that is fantastic. I'm about halfway mm -hmm. through. It's solid. So that's, that's Dave Smith, everybody. And so now Great. that you've been introduced. Great. So our topic today, forgiveness. And I'm going to start with this question because I make Eddie answer the question first, usually. Can you think of a time when you experienced either forgiveness and, and no Jesus juking allowed? We, we, don't, we don't say experience the forgiveness of Jesus and then we're good. But I mean, in forgiveness from someone for something you've done, or you were harboring unforgiveness for something that someone else did to you. And you don't have to give details, but tell me about a, an experience of either one. Wow, nothing like pulling a pin on a hand grenade and <laughs> dropping it. To, yeah, it is. It is a yeah. deep one. I know. I know. Well, I would say that that is a part of shared life experience with all of us. Yep. There are people that have deeply disappointed me in the way they've treated me. And I could easily harbor resentment, mm. but that's kind of like um, drinking poison and thinking the other, other, the other person's gonna get sick from it. Augustine, I, I think that's yeah, Augustine. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes us sick. Yeah. Um, and so this is, um, when I say life experience, we all share this, but I, I have to drop Jesus into this okay. because I didn't meet him till I was 25. Um, and so for the first, uh, the first 25 years of my life, I thought when somebody hurts you like that, you just cut them off from your, your life and go find somebody better. Um, okay. yeah. I thought that was the way I handled problems. And then when I encountered Jesus, um, he kind of shows another model that says that you don't have enough friends to get rid of any. You actually have to reconcile with them. Um, and the model is the way I drew you to myself and forgave you. 
that's a hard learning experience because by and large, most of us say something like three strikes and you're out. Yeah, I'll forgive somebody once or twice. Right. But then Jesus goes to this astronomical number of saying 70 times seven times. That's how many times you forgive, which you really can't count, which means for the rest of your life, you will not be abandoning people like they are disposable. Mm. You've got to find a way through Christ to reconcile to them. So that was, I mean, for me, that was kind of that mind exploding, okay, this is a new way to do life. And I actually found that as I was forgiving people, I found that other people were forgiving me. It was not always one-on-one, like Mm -hmm. you've hurt me, I forgive you, we're fine. Mm -hmm. It is this much larger community where I forgive you and I find out somebody else is forgiving me. So sometimes grace and forgiveness comes from a completely different direction than I anticipated. And uh, if I can use a word, that's when you taste and know that the Lord is good. Mm. He gives you something and it's unexpected, it's surprised. And it's a whole new model for, I'm not going to say for doing ministry. It's just a whole new way of doing community. Yeah. yeah. I was I was taken back when you were describing that. I was taken back to my first memory of encountering forgiveness as being taught in, in a biblical kind of setting. It would be a church. Yeah. And I, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I had in my head as uh, someone... I don't think I had been baptized yet. I think I heard this early on, but I, I had encountered this sermon that made me think about what I thought forgiveness meant for Christians. So mm-hmm. if you're not a Christian, if you're outside of that realm, then you have a certain understanding of what Christians mean by forgiveness. Yeah. And in my understanding of it, it was very superficial. It was very much like Okay, Jesus told them that they have to forgive, so they forgive, and that's why they do it. Mm-hmm. And so I never had to think about or I never thought about the pain involved in yeah. forgiveness, in, in offering forgiveness, and the wrestling and the blocks and what real forgiveness is versus just, ah, it's fine, or burying it, you know, in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about maybe then the different kinds of forgiveness, if there are different kinds. Okay. So I've been reading this, this, uh, I've had occasion to read someone. This is Everett Worthington. I want to get his introduction right. Everett Worthington is a professor emeritus um, in psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University. Okay. He, I guess, has been doing research since the 1990s, maybe early 90s, almost exclusively on forgiveness. Um, He's also talked about other things. It says here in his little bio, um, he had an interest scientifically in the concept of forgiveness uh, in in couples counseling and uh, in in how religion interacts with the two. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. a Christian. Um, He, I guess from, it says 1998 to 2005. So what is that? Seven years he directed this nonprofit organization whose sole purpose was to fund research on forgiveness. And wow. they released some $6 million into, into funding for, for research. So he, he knows what he's doing. And what, what caught me was the bottom of his bio. Now, I'm just going to read it exactly as it mm-hmm. is written. After the murder of his mother in 1996, 
Everett began thinking about how the practice of forgiveness relates to justice, faith, and virtue, which is a main theme of his recent work. While he forgave the murderer, as did his brother and his sister, the emotional fallout was devastating. And in 2005, his brother committed suicide. In addition to studying forgiveness of others, Everett drew on his own feelings of guilt and self-condemnation and added the study of self-forgiveness to his interests. Hmm. Now that, it, that's not just a man who has studied as a, as a psychologist in academic work, but one who has had to do that kind of work in the hardest way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's me introducing the guy, which is my way of saying we probably should listen to what he said, Right. <laughs> but he, he does identify a couple of different kinds of forgiveness. He identifies decisional forgiveness. I decide to forgive. Mm-hmm. And then he, he has emotional forgiveness. And that is, I feel like I have forgiven. And then he says, reconciliation is separate from both. Mm, mm. So in his work, as I've been looking at it, he he describes a kind of a pattern and he has his acrostics. You know, we all need our acrostics to remember things. Um, But in, in his definition of forgiveness, I've got it here from a little um, paper that he was involved in. Uh, anyway, I wrote, I rewrote it better here. Or did I? I didn't. Okay, so definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness can include both the reduction in vengeful and angry thoughts or feelings or motives that may be accompanied by an increase in some form of positive thoughts, feelings, and motives toward the offending person. Forgiveness is understood as primarily an intrapersonal experience that does not include reconciliation with the offending person, even though reconciliation might accompany it. Most researchers agree that forgiveness is not forgetting, it's not condoning or excusing the wrongdoing, nor is it simply the opposite or absence of bitterness and vengefulness. So he starts with that definition, which is not really a definition. It's like, here's what it's not. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let, what is forgiveness? What, what do you think forgiveness is? Um, am, am I allowed to use the scriptures in this? Absolutely. Be, yeah. Okay. Perfect okay. time. <laughs> Perfect time. Um, forgiveness is this huge thing that is talked about. Um, in the Old Testament, so I'll start there, in the Old Testament, that God will forgive the sins of Israel. Now, often we kind of think, okay, that means God forgave each one of the individual Israelites. That's not what the text is talking about. So on one special day of the year called Yom Kippur, when uh, the high priest goes into the temple and goes into the Holy of Holies once a year, he pours sacrificial blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant 
for the sins, forgiving the sins of all of the people. That's that corporate sense that takes place. Um, that is a big deal because when you're going through the Levitical laws, especially, you know, you know how when you begin reading the Bible um, in January, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. You, you do pretty well till you get to Leviticus yeah. and you go, uh, I'm skipping to the Gospel of John. Yeah. Um, but those first seven chapters are talking about the forgiveness of unintentional sin. It's, it's the sin that we do against somebody else, and we, we don't mean it. Okay. Um, it, it has an unintended outcome that is hard uh, or hurts somebody, but I didn't intend it that way. Those are the sins that are forgiven by the Levitical law. It is that one day a year when the high priest goes into the temple and pours the blood on the altar that the sins of everyone is forgiven. So if you could imagine only being able to receive forgiveness once a year for something done intentionally. Mm. Um, that's, that's God's way of saying, this is serious stuff. Mm. When you hurt somebody, it doesn't just affect that individual, it ends up affecting the community. And now I know we know that, but we pretty much in North America are individuals. We kind of think of ourselves in working in silos and hey, if I sin, even if I sin and no one knows about it, it doesn't hurt them. Yes, it does because you don't have a reciprocally forgiving heart. Mm. Your heart has become hard. And so what, what happens when we do that is that we then come into the community, could be Coryville or it could be the local church there. And we do not offer grace-filled hearts. We only offer hard hearts. Because they've been hardened. Yeah. That's right. So we need to take seriously, not just receiving forgiveness, but also giving it the way God does. And we need to realize the grievous nature of it. It is only reconciled in the Old Testament once a year. That is, um, I've always thought of, the day of atonement as being the day where you cover everything that you didn't cover in the regular temple uh, sacrifices that you did. So it's yeah. kind of like a, a catch all day. We got, mm. if you didn't, if you weren't good, then come on that day and, and you get everything covered. Um, yeah, no, as a, as a matter of fact, when you read through Leviticus, again, we skip past it because it, it doesn't seem to directly relate to us. Mm -hmm. I would hazard that it really does yeah but it feels but, like so there's there's sacrifices for unintentional sin one after another but then you'll actually hear moses goes but the sin of the high hand and the sin of the high hand is where you intentionally hurt somebody there is not a sacrifice for that wow so it's kind of like what do i do with it you carry that guilt and shame Free. until you come to yom kippur what do we do we, in pretty much in North American Christianity, we call it sin management, where I've done something wrong. I say, forgive me, God. He will forgive me. Um, we're really not taking serious the grievous nature of sin or unforgiveness or the hurt that comes upon somebody. Yeah. It, it literally unshapes the community. Mm. Um, and so... When Jesus comes and begins to pronounce forgiveness, 
Um, and apparently the, you know, the Pharisees are upset with him because you're forgiving sin um, and you're taking light of this. Oh, oh, I'm not taking light. You know, we as a church, we're only a week and a half away from Easter. Don't tell me he's taking light of this. Right. It's um, he's taking it to do to do it seriously. Yeah. And now here, here's a interesting word that only a couple of times in the New Testament, in Romans um, and in the book of First John, Jesus is actually called, this is a fancy term. He's called the hilasterion. Sorry to sound like a Greek geek. Okay. But the word hilasterion is not a thing. You know, it, it says in First John, if we sin, we actually have a atoning sacrifice. It's the word a hilasterion and his name is Jesus. The hilasterion is not something Jesus does. It's what he is. It's actually the name of the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It's the mercy seat. Forgiveness comes as now the new high priest, Jesus, is not just the priest offering the sacrifice. He's also the top of the Ark of the Covenant where God actually dwells in the world. Um, we we kind of say, you know, um, our kids used to sit around the dining room table, and my, my son was really good at knowing how to get my daughter upset. Sure. He would say something, do something, and when she would get upset, this would be his immediate response. Uh, just kidding. Yeah. He knew what he was doing, yep. and it hurt her, and he was basically saying, ah, you, you, you got to forgive me for this because I didn't really mean it. And an I think as forgiveness means would have been a little twisted there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in our culture, we need to take forgiveness and the offering of it and the receiving of it very seriously because Jesus did and it cost him everything. Yeah. Unforgiveness is one of those things that as a pastor, and you, you would understand this too, you, you look over your flock and every once in a while you get rumblings or you hear of a situation among the flock where they were hurt by someone and you know they haven't let it go. You know they haven't forgive, sought forgiveness. You know they, yeah. they just kind of hold on to it. Unforgiveness is one of those things where I, I feel like our entire faith, our entire religion, our entire you know, holy book is designed for that not to happen. For that mm. to be something that the beloved community never really does, not that they don't sin. I think we teach enough that sin happens, and but, but that we don't forgive, that right. unforgiveness lingers. So, you got any ideas on why, why unforgiveness, why we get stuck in that? Um, it is again the kind of the shaping of the heart. Okay. Um, let me kind of give you a, a catchy phrase and see if I can then build on that. Yeah. We become what we worship. So if we worship Jesus, we become like him or, or we reject his teaching. Hmm. 
So uh, there's, there's a wonderful passage in the Gospel of John. You guys are moving through that. My guess is you spent some time talking about this miracle that, uh, that takes place that Jesus does over the official's son. Yes. Where the official son, the official comes to Jesus, says, please come to my home and heal my son. And Jesus looks at this man and simply says this, your son will live. Yes. And then John interjects this wonderful line that says, and the man took Jesus at his word. Yep. Went and walked all the way back. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so what's important about that is that we actually take Jesus at his word. Mm. That especially when he teaches us to pray, mm. he says, you are, you know, forgive, your, your debts are forgiven as you forgive the debts of others. Right. So if you hold on to unforgiveness, you become unlike Jesus. You know that and you, that, be, and you become what you worship. I, I choose to worship bitterness and hate. I choose to look at this person and see them as my enemy rather than a potential friend. Um, we become like that. And, that, and that, our hearts become hard. That connects with what Worthington was saying when, when he was describing, here's what unforgiveness feels like. So he, he, much of his work is not to help someone seek to be forgiven, although that is part of what he does. Much of it is to help someone who needs to forgive, yeah. to, to move, because the feelings are so strong that, yeah. that you, know, you don't, you feel anger, you feel resentment, you feel, and I don't know where you feel anger, but I feel anger here. I know some mm -hmm. people, they feel it kind of up here. Some feel it in their stomach, you know, you feel it in different places in their jaw. Eddie's pointing to his jaw. He feels it <laughs> in his jaw. Yeah. You feel that anger. You feel sad. You feel vengeful. Right. You, you feel like you've been wronged and in order to make it right, you have to know everything about what happened. You want to throw it back at the person. So all of these kinds of experiences that, that can block you from seeking even to move to forgiveness. And mm -hmm. what you said is interesting. All of those are the opposite of Jesus. Every right. one of them is the opposite of Jesus. Hmm. And so we become unlike him and we're not taking him at his word. I mean, I, in the Gospel of John, that is the highest thing said about Jesus. That, that's the belief that Jesus wants us to appropriate, mm. that we will take him at his at a distance. I mean, the guy is a long way away from his son, and he doesn't demand that Jesus come. Mm -hmm. You speaking this over me is enough. Yeah. And so when we receive forgiveness from him, how can we actually harbor bitterness towards somebody else? Mm. Now, I know how we can. Mm -hmm. It is the hurt. I, I get all yeah. of that. But the beginning of forgiveness, the beginning of transformation, is when we begin to take Jesus at his word and say, you know what? My experience is not this. Mm. I want you to change that in my life. Yeah. And so I will take you at your word that I am forgiven as I forgive. As I forgive someone else. There was a, 
I, I obviously don't want any any names, so I won't say any. But there was a lady in the church that uh, I was pastoring, one of the churches I was pastoring. And the first day I met her, I kind of went around as the brand new pastor. I'm sure you remember this brand new pastor introducing myself to people. And I walked up to her and I shook hands with her, introduced myself. And she said, this is the first words. I want you to know it never says in the Bible that Jesus smiled. Oh, that's the first thing you want to say to me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought, okay, there's a story behind that. Yeah. yeah. And this woman, I, I lovingly said, caused more problems in my life than anybody else. Hmm. Uh, if, if, uh, if there was a good way to look at something, say optimistically, she always chose the pessimist. Mm, okay. If something happened, it was always, um, uh, she, she always saw the cloudy, yeah. sun. she never saw the sun. What happened? This went on for years and years and years. Finally, her, her husband was in the hospital and he was dying. Um, Angie and I were getting ready to leave this church. We were going to another church. And I saw, I saw her in the hospital and I had to get an answer to the question, what, what made her be this way? And so I asked, I was getting ready to get on the elevator. I would probably not see her again. And I said to her, I called her by name. And I, I said this lovingly as a pastor, what happened? Yeah. And she said, pastor, what do you mean? I said, something has caused you to always see people as the adversary. And this, she was in her seventies at that point. She was weeping and she finally said, when I was 10 years old, God called me to go to the mission field. And I said, no. And she's been living in that sense of that God wanted me to go and do something that would make my life terrible. And instead I said, no. And it shaped her to have a heart of bitterness against God and of course against God's people she did not take God at his word that going to the mission field, I'm not against you. I am totally for you yeah. and I will pour my life of love into yours. So you'll transform many others. Yeah. No, yeah, I refuse. So 60 so years I just, later, yeah, having gone to church faithfully every Sunday, every Sunday and hearing the word of God, I'm sure from different pastors in different ways and different Sunday school teachers, and yet she still had that, that lock on her heart. Yeah. Oh. She became what she worshiped. Oh. And uh, so I just, I offer to you and me and Eddie and everybody else that's listening, take Jesus at his word. Mm. Um, he wants to pour his life of love into us. And there are many times we do not have the power in ourselves to forgive. That's right. That's when it is the work of the Holy Spirit that he chooses. I will not, I will not, I will help you to live outside the flesh and instead to be empowered by the spirit. Yeah. That's what Galatians five is all about. Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. We become what we worship. We either worship the flesh, our own feelings, or we actually worship Jesus and take him at his word. Yeah. There's this, um, there's this acrostic that Worthington used to teach how to move forward towards forgiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called, it was reach. I think I got it here. And you know, he, he's 
ministering to a secular context as well as a religious context. So it, it doesn't depend on religious language, but it's interesting to me. Reach is, is his approach to learn to be more forgiving. It's not to forgive someone. It's to learn to be more forgiving. That's the reach model. First one is recall. That's the R recall is remember the hurt as objectively as possible remember the hurt, how it hurt you, what it felt like, what you know about it. Just, just go ahead and remember that. And then the second, the E is empathize. Yeah. Try to understand the other person's viewpoint if you can. And I think one of the exercises that he had was uh, imagine that you were aware of the things going on in that person's life when they hurt you. Mm. so not to excuse that they're them. real human beings too that are broken exactly so so yeah not to excuse them and not to ask for excuses or anything like that but but to try and think okay do you remember what it was like for them under that boss at that time mm-hmm. do you remember yeah. that they had lost their their father at that time i mean try and think of what was going on that might have been there and assume for a moment that they did not intend to hurt you when they woke up that morning. Hmm. They didn't get up and eat their Cheerios and say, how am I going to hurt Chris today? Right. That, that wasn't it. Okay. So that's E the empathize. The third is altruism. And I think that is where Christ comes in. It is altruism, which is um, think of a time that you've been forgiven, then offer the gift. Hmm. You don't have to do it to their hmm. face. But this is a, this is a, Lord, I know you forgave me. I, I am aware of that fact. And I'm thinking of that time that, that uh, Dave um, just really hurt me that one time. And, uh, and I remember it, it or that, that time that I hurt Dave, sorry, that time I hurt Dave Smith. And then uh, he forgave me. And I remember that. I remember what that felt like. Um, I want this person to experience forgiveness. Now, it's a decision, may not be an emotional one, you may not be there yet, but to logically and intellectually at least acknowledge, I know I've been forgiven and I need to offer that gift. So that's the altruism. C is committing, which is, um, that would be to go on record in a way. Mm -hmm. So that might be, I go to Eddie and I say, Eddie, um, you know, this, this thing that happened between us, I just want you to know it really hurt me. Um, you know, I forgive you, or it could be writing in a letter and sharing with your wife that you're forgiving someone else. It's just a commitment. And then the H, which is the long-term, this is the long haul. It's holding on. Hmm. I love the way he phrased it, not forgetting the hurt, but remembering why you chose to forgive. That's what you hold on to. Wow. Now, when I first read that, and that was recent, when I first read that, all kinds of bells about communion were ringing in my head Hmm. because isn't that the act where we recall, we seek to empathize. We, we recognize the altruistic gift of Christ. We, we, we are going on record as a body we're committing and we're holding on and remembering the Passover connection, the, 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 I mean, all of it, it is a remembering and a holding on for why God did what God did in Christ. Yeah, I love that. Every week. Or I, I was in a, uh, I was in a recent small group, hmm. 
and there was a, a man in the group that had been hurt deeply in his career. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it caused major changes and major upheaval. And uh, he's, he's still processing that. Now, we, we've all had these kinds of things. This happened to me. And so in the middle of the small group, he points to me and says, now, Dave, tell us about your event. And I could, at that moment, have begun to rehearse everything. Um, and I, I think it would have been justified. Hmm. I'm not totally sure it would have been healthy for me. But here was my response. Yes, I remember forgiving that hmm. and just left it right there. Yeah. Um, there are times where you do need to go through this mechanical step. When I say mechanical, hear me, the reach, the, the, the acrostic. We yeah. need to go through that process. But when we get to the end, um, if we continually, can I give you a, a terrible metaphor? If we continue to pull the scab off yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and ask, I just, I remember forgiving that person. So um, they are not my enemy the event actually helped shaped me to be who I am. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's a couple of passages. There's not a whole lot, but it talks about how Christ himself grew. It says this in Hebrews, he learned obedience through suffering. Mm. If you want to be Christ-like, anticipate there will be hard times, anticipate you will forgive, anticipate that you will become like him mm. and you won't go back and start over again because that is re-sacrificing Jesus. Mm. I choose to live as a forgiven person and I choose to live as one who does forgive wow. and not re-crucify or, you know, re-anger um, re the situation again and again and again. I think that might be tying to that human experience piece. I think anyone who's listening to this can probably think of um, a hurt that is still there, a hurt that's that's still there. Um, and maybe they have voiced forgiveness for it. And maybe they have worked on, I think, I know a lot of people have worked on forgiving and thought they got it. And then, you know, life goes on and you're trying to figure out the rest of your life, right? Mm -hmm. But that metaphor you made of pulling off a scab, if, if it is still pulling off a scab, then the forgiveness is still something that needs to be worked out. It's still there. Right. You know, when it's, you know, when it's behind you, when it's a scar, when, when it's a scar, then it's a story. Then it's a, it's like the two yeah. guys in Jaws. Do you remember that scene? Uh, did you ever see Jaws? Oh yeah. Okay. So you remember the scene? Which with, time? <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Ship captain. And then you got the scientist and then you got the policeman in the middle and, and they're drunk. They're just, they're just drunk. Um, yeah. At the, at the end of the movie. Yeah. And they're sharing yeah. their, their scar stories. Oh yeah. One of them says, Oh yeah, this one was here and this, you know, and their scar stories. It, it no longer is a wound. It's now part of who they are. Yeah. And that, that I think is something that, maybe my congregation, our congregations would benefit from hearing from me more frequently is we're trying to get to the scar period. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a good thing. Scars are good. Scars mean that you have lived a life and that you have grown 
from your, yeah. your wounds. Yeah. Simple, simple observation. Um, this is not original with me, so uh, I give credit to, but I don't remember exactly who originally said it, was that it, it is asking the question, do you believe it was possible for God to raise Jesus from the dead and to heal his wounds? Um, I, I think God can do anything, okay. but he chooses to allow the scars to remain on Jesus's hands and feet and his side. So that when he meets uh, Thomas, um, you know, he says to Thomas, put your hands on my side and you will believe by seeing. I also believe in the ascension mm -hmm. that the wounds are still in heaven yeah. as Jesus intercedes for us night and day to the Father. As one so who... if God chose not to heal Jesus's wounds, I wonder whether or not the scars of our soul or the scars of our body might actually have some kind of redeeming value in the kingdom. I wanted to bring us back to the scripture for one last thing. Okay. And it is because part of this topic came to mind for me when I encountered Judas Iscariot in John 12. Oh, wow. Here's, here's the piece. And I'm not going to do this for a full Bible study or anything like that, but I've, I've had kind of a love affair with uh, Judas Iscariot for as long as I can remember it, he, he's the kind of guy that I get why he does the things that he does. Mm -hmm. And I moan, I grieve that, that that's what happened, that, that he followed that and he continued. To me, he doesn't feel like an enemy. He feels like this is who I could be if I, if I go the wrong way. If I, yeah. you know. So here, here he's, uh, John 12, it's six days before the Passover. Jesus therefore came to Bethany. So that's the, the little sleepy little town outside of Jerusalem where his friends lived, Lazarus, who he had just raised from the dead, uh, and then Martha and Mary uh, are in that household, and they give a dinner for him, which I think they get, I don't know, is that giving a dinner for Jesus or giving a dinner for Lazarus? Because it came right after Lazarus was raised. Yeah. So, it's a celebration, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Many therefore took, or sorry, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. House was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who uh, he who was about to betray him, meaning betray Jesus, said, well, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? The narrator, John, says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. So what hung me up on that is that same thing that hung, hangs me up on Judas Iscariot all the time. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. It says in the scripture in various places, Jesus was wise to what Judas was becoming or became. It, it, at the very least, I think we can say that Jesus knew one would betray him because the scripture said that. But I think we can move a little further and say he knew personally Judas was a danger. And yet, 
he didn't slap him. He didn't kick him out of the house. He didn't take the money bag from him. And the question I have always is, did Jesus go to the cross for him too? Mm. Is that forgiveness modeled so strongly in Jesus that not only does he go to forgive those who would crucify him or those who would, would uh, shout at him, spit at him, that he would go for any who would receive him, but specifically the betrayer, his, his close friend, probably one of his best friends. He's sitting close to him. Right. So that, that's um, what I got on that. I, and it just... It's a huge... Um, and it, the answer does not necessarily come here. It's not like John then interjects, Jesus would have forgiven Judas if he asked for it. But I take you to the beginning of the book when another John, in this case, it's John the Baptist, has two disciples with him and sees Jesus. And he points to him and says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So it doesn't say the sin of the world, well, except Judas, of course. Right, right. There is no, there is nothing that anyone has done that cannot be forgiven by God. Yeah. That's, I'll tell you what, there, there, there may be some people listening today mm. or hearing this as it's being rebroadcast or even thinking as they're walking towards Easter, Jesus can forgive everybody except what I've done. Mm. I mean, my goodness, look, look at King David in the Old Testament. I mean, when you look at what he did with Bathsheba, what he did with Uriah, what, I mean, that's pretty cruel dude adultery and and god so radically transformed him that he is a man after god's own heart so in the old testament it's pretty clear that forgiveness from god's perspective also means forgetting Hmm. now it's it's not like god just kind of wipes his whatever his celestial brain is like he's treating us as if it didn't happen so he's choosing no longer to remember. That's right. And I think that's, um, that's getting to what Worthington was kind of talking about in this. Remember it happened, it happened objectively, but by the time you get to this process, all that you're remembering is that you chose to forgive. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and the hard part of that is actually giving somebody permission to do it again. Now, we spend a lot of time talking about, I mean, this is, this is healthy psychology. We will build boundaries. We will protect ourselves. I often just kind of whisper to people, show me that in scripture. Yeah. I, I get it from psychology, yeah. but in scripture, Jesus doesn't say, okay, you did that. Um, you're forgiven, but I'll never give you permission to do it again. He's vulnerable all the way through. Boom. Yeah. You, just, okay. you, you, you dropped another hand grenade right there. We worship a God who is vulnerable to stiff-necked people. Not vulnerable in the sense that God can be hurt by us physically, but vulnerable in the sense that he doesn't then gate off the community and That's right. out in there. That's right. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I wonder when you say that God cannot be hurt by us, um, he is an emotional being. 
Okay. You know, Genesis 6, early on, it says this, and God grieved that he ever made man. Grieving is hurting. Fair point. Um, You're right. And so there is, there, God is an emotional being, but that doesn't mean like us. Often when we get overwhelmed with emotion, it controls our behavior mm. in a negative way. God is an emotional being, but he is not controlled in a way that makes him dangerous to us mm. because he's emotional. Would, would you, can, can, I, can I jump ahead as we yeah. um, kind of put some closure on this? Yeah. And uh, um, I was taken the other day as I was reading through John 18, you'll be moving in this direction if you guys, are you still going like chapter by chapter? At, at this point now, since the story has advanced to Easter, it will be, I'll be focusing on the passion during the week of Holy Week. So I'll have okay. to be doing chapter by chapter there. Cause you know, it's now, what is it? 10 chapters that are devoted just to <laughs> right just that one right. week. So, so that'd, it'll that'd be, be a long church service if you preach all the way through yeah. that. So I'm going to so. preach. I'm going to preach resurrection. So chapter twenty and twenty one. I'm going to preach those for four Sundays, Easter, oh. Easter and beyond. So that's how I'll do that. So let me let me kind of uh, talk just for a moment about the arrest of Jesus in John eighteen, and I want to play off what you said earlier about Jesus knowing. So let's can we go to uh, John eighteen verse four? Um, right there. Jesus, now I'm reading from the New International Version. Go ahead. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, so stop. Could you imagine us, if we knew everything that was going to happen, we would keep it from happening oh. or we wouldn't go there. Yeah. Jesus knows and he goes anyway. Um, went out and asked them, and these are the soldiers coming to arrest him. Who is it that you want? And they say this. Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus's words, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing with them. That's vitally important. Mm. That Judas is right here hearing all this conversation. He's actually the one bringing the soldiers to Jesus. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get worse than this. This is betrayal at its worst. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I wish we had about 20 minutes to talk about what does this phrase, I am he, mean? Because it's actually the Old Testament equivalent of I am that I am. Mm. He is making a declaration, I am God, and his betrayers, soldiers and Judas, fall down. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you. I am he, Jesus answered. And then he says this, if you are looking for me, let these men go. Hmm. Now, um, can I, again, can, this is a second time. Apologies for this, for, for your listeners. I'm being kind of a Greek geek. Oh, go ahead. Um, when this word, let these people go, the word let is a very simple Greek word with a profound meaning. It is the word me, and it's actually the word used for forgive. Jesus is saying, let them go, but let them go and to do what they're gonna be doing. Judas, Peter will very soon right. deny them, 
And the other gospels tell us all of these disciples were scattered. Yeah. Let them go. Jesus, knowing what's going to take place, has already forgiven them. Wow. Uh, that's, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be deeply spiritual when I say this. That is not me, uh. but that's who I want to be. I want to be able to look at people and love them, not if they love me back, but even if they do end up betraying me, and knowing I'm already planning in advance to forgive them for that. I'm not reactionary, I'm proactive in forgiveness. I read that in John and uh, I must tell you, I fell to my knees because that's not where I am but I want to take Jesus at his word. It changes the tenor of that whole conversation he has with them. Doesn't it? It really Doesn't does. It? It, it changes it. My, my reading of that initially would be, I think what everyone would be, uh, go ahead and let them go. Take me. I don't want them arrested. Right. But no, he, he's letting, he's wants them let go for what they're going to do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if I'm if I'm running the kingdom, Chris, I'll tell you what, first thing I'd take away is free will. Because <laughs> yeah. I know human beings are going to do stupid stuff. Yeah. But God's running this universe. Yeah. And he does give you the right, or at least the option, to hurt me. Hmm. And I'm hoping that he empowers me to forgive you. And both of us through that act will be radically transformed to look like Jesus. Yeah. And then maybe one day you can go to someone and say, oh, you're having that problem. Check out this scar. I, I know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, this is, this is beyond what I had hoped for our conversation. Just wonderful. Thank you so much for this time, uh, as always. Well, thanks for the way you're leading the church. Um, I'm not sure if your listeners uh, realize this, but the last church that I went and taught in was your church right before COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and I've watched you over the last year, because that's right where we are over the last year. And you guys have actually taken, if you will, the bitter pill that COVID's given to us and said, we're taking this online, we're taking this to small groups, we will still be readers and um, practitioners of the word, even though it's not convenient. Hmm. So thanks for letting me watch you guys at work. Hmm. All right, brother. Well, take care. I hope Indiana treats you well. We'll see you soon. Take care, Chris. Bye-bye.